Hello and welcome back to the PSC in Conversation. Uh, the PSC is a specialist consultancy dedicated to making public services brilliant. And so if you share our passion, this podcast, uh, we hope, is for you. Um, and please don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast to stay up to date. Uh, obviously, it's Antonio here uh, today for our latest edition. And I'm absolutely thrilled to introduce our guest for the day, procurement expert, all-round wonderful person and friend of, uh, of mine, and the PSE, Peter Smith. He's the author of the fabulous Bad Buying, How Organisations Waste Billions Through Failures, Fraud and Fuck-Ups. And I really hope Matt is able to bleep out that one. And uh, Procurement with Purpose and many, many, many other excellent titles. And with a long career in the procurement industry across public and private uh, sectors, Peter shines a light on how ineptitude, mismanagement and fraud are costing companies and the public purse billions. In his newest book, he also talks about how that mismanagement is impacting the environment. Peter, welcome. We are delighted to have you joining us today. Uh, Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, no, our pleasure. So, um, well, it, uh, your, your career, I, I, I know I always say to uh, to clients, you know, or you, who always uh, have uh, issues or grappling with challenges in the in the world of buying, and I say, well, you must speak to Peter. Peter is the expert, and you've had an amazing career. But we, I, I always think your first job, I remember, is as a purchasing manager at Mars Confectionery. What inspired you to take that job, and uh, did you know that this is what you wanted to do? How, you know, how, how does someone get into the, this world? No, no, not 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 at all. I, I I came out of university vaguely thinking I wanted to work in sort of business. Uh, applied for various management training jobs, got the job at Mars. Uh, Mars paid very well, and you got free chocolate, so that seemed like a pretty good deal all round. Um, I did the normal trying different functions at Mars, got promoted into management actually in, in management sciences, because I'm sort of a mathematician by background. Um, and I was going to go into marketing, so they said, well, you better have a year in sales first. They didn't send me out on the road. They, they gave me an office sales job. And uh, I think I was so bad at it, after about nine months, they decided they really had to get, you know, get me out of there before I did any more damage to the sales force. Um, and the job in buying came up. So, so the other interpretation of that was that I, uh, I was part of the Mars tennis playing circuit. And one of the most senior guys in the purchasing division was a keen tennis player, a uh, Scottish guy. And um, he might have had his eye on me and thought, I, you know, he'll make a good, a good buyer for some reason. So I'd never even considered it, and it was suggested to me I'm, I might like to uh, apply for this job in, in purchasing. And uh, what I can honestly say is within weeks, I, I thought, yeah, this, this is good. I really enjoy this. And it was a combination of um, using my analytical background uh, and, and skills and, and enjoying numbers and so on. Um, and there's a lot of that in, in procurement. Um, but it, but it's not a sort of backroom numbers job, you know. It's not like being a sort of data analyst or or, or even accountant, if I dare say that. Um, there's lots of dealing with people and lots of interpersonal stuff and, and exciting stuff. And you got out of the office to go and visit suppliers and see lots of exciting factories making skim milk powder or packaging or whatever. Um, so. Apart from a brief stint of a few months doing general management in a, another small food company, not Mars, um, 
it's been many, many years of <laughs> procurement ever since, really. And, and, and Peter, so you studied uh, mathematics at, at university. I just, maybe, maybe this is my complete ignorance, but I've, I've got the impression that procurement has become sort of increasingly professionalised over the last 20 years, maybe, but, but when, you, when you were starting out, who, who, who else would be, you know, what would be the backgrounds of other people work, working in the purchasing department? Would it be accountants? Would it be all manner of backgrounds or um, yeah I, I mean it sort of depends what you're buying so I mean at, at Mars for instance the people who were in the there was an engineering buying department who, who bought machinery and stuff for the factory and that was populated almost entirely by guys and, and ladies um, who'd probably either been production managers or production engineers and, and probably most of them had an engineering degree, because if you're buying complicated equipment, it probably helps if you sort of understand it. Um, if you're somebody who's going to specialise in, in being a, a category manager in marketing services or professional services, for instance, um, it probably doesn't really matter what your sort of academic background is. What I would say is it has become... I think it's always been pretty analytical, but actually what, what digitisation and technology has done over the years is it's given us access in procurement to just so much more data and made that data accessible and, and, and you can do clever things with it that previously, you know, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I come from the pre-Excel days. I, I remember literally the first pocket calculators, rather sadly. Um, but, but, you know, you can do so much more now with data, but in order to do it, I think you do need a basic level of... of uh, sort of comfort with, with numbers and data and so on. So um, I think there's probably not many people coming through procurement now who would sort of go, oh, well, you know, I, I failed GCSE maths, but that doesn't really matter. Um, we're, we're fairly... Numerous. Numbers aren't really my thing. Yeah, yeah, we're a fairly numerous profession these days. Um, and, 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 and I guess on the, on the profession more generally then, so maybe I should, we should have taken a step back, but what, so what does the work of a procurement team cover? And it, it seems, as you, as you, you know, described, that getting procurement right is basically essential to the running of, well, the economy, but, but, but maybe it's slightly overlooked as a, as a discipline. Yeah, I think it still is, although less so probably than, than 20, 30 years ago. Um, but, I mean, in terms of private sector, most organisations will spend between 50 and 80% of their revenues with suppliers. So that's 50 to 80% of their, their, the money they're getting in is going out the door again to suppliers. Um, private, uh, public sector, rather, it varies a lot. Um, there's a few organisations might be slightly less than that, but in other cases it, it, can, be, it can be as high as that or even higher. I mean, if you look at someone like the Highways Agency, um, I think probably 90% of, of the total cost of the Highways Agency is then spent with suppliers. You know, clearly all the, the firms building roads, they're not built by <laughs> people who work for the Highways Agency. Um, so really, procurement is about using that spend to achieve your corporate goals. So in, in the private sector, it's ultimately all about using that spend to, to drive competitive advantage uh, and increase shareholder value and, and so on and do all those business things. Um, and in the public sector, it's about using that spend to achieve your policy goals, whether that's keeping the population healthy, curing disease and so on in the NHS, 
or defending the country if you're MOD, um, or providing you know facilities for um, for for kids if you if you're in a local authority buying children's services. Um, so yeah. So you've just got my, my mind whirring a little bit there on the stat, uh, you know, the highways agency example. But obviously a lot of, um, well, so since the 1980s, there was the kind of the, the purchase of provider split in healthcare. And a lot of the terminology in healthcare over previous years has been about commissioning services. But of course, the vast majority of those services are still delivered by the NHS, although obviously, you know, primary care and GPs are sort of outside the NHS and there's an independent sector as well. But can you help us understand, is there a distinction between commissioning and purchasing? Or is it, is it you know, is, is there a subtlety <laughs> there or is it, or is it large? It should oh, it be I think the same? I've, I think I've probably written some learned articles on this in <laughs> the past. Um, and I was involved in, in I, I did lots of consulting in government. Uh, I mean, I did some line management jobs as well. Uh, lots of consulting through the noughties, and, and this was something that came up quite a bit. I think probably most people would say um, commissioning, well, commissioning to me anyway, is a type of procurement because you are you are buying the services of third parties. I think that what I would define as commissioning is when those services are not provided to the organisation that's actually spending the money, but they're provided to a different group of people, usually some subset of, you know, citizens, taxpayers, however you want to define us. So so health or social care is a classic example. You know, local authorities are procuring the services of care companies to do domiciliary care or other sorts of care. Um, but those services are actually delivered to people like my late mother in, in her final years. Uh, although, frankly, she paid for most of that herself. <laughs> But uh, but that's that's commissioning services rather than sort of buying for your internal use. But it, it is essentially procurement, though. It's it's a different type of procurement. So that's a very helpful lens, and I'm sure we'll we, we'll probably come back to it in a, in a second. But just just back on your, your yourself, you know, did you ever think did you ever think of leaving the world of procurement rather than what has kept you there? You know, have you ever been tempted to? Yeah, jump to something totally different, and why didn't you? <laughs> um, well, well, there's the sort of official version that you know I, I used to tell to headhunters, and then there's the truth of it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I left Mars to to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. So I joined a much smaller food company, um, and and that was also partly to to try some general management. I'd sort of hit thirty, so I thought it was a good time to try something else. And uh, my first real general management job was. Um, I, I was MD of a potato processing and packing business in Kings Lynn um, <laughs> with this factory that did things to potatoes. And, uh, and the absolute truth of it is after a few months of, of that, I was pretty desperate to get back out into a nice procurement job <laughs> in, a, in a nice office, uh, not 100 miles away from home, and um, working with colleagues where, where staff turnover was less than 400% a year because the, the average uh, person in my potato factory stayed for about three months, um, and then they'd either had enough or we had to fire them for getting involved in potato fights. That happened quite a bit. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if you lasted about four months, you got made, made foreman, and, and, you know, if you lasted a year, you were the manager. Um, so, so, no, I, I'm being a bit flippant, but I, I did, having done that for a while, I thought, 
you know, general management isn't necessarily all it's cracked up to be. So I, I went back in at procurement director level. Um, and then I think the, the other thing, to be honest, and I, I've talked to other senior procurement people who said this as well, it, it is a great job. It, you know, being a procurement director is a, a great job. And unless you can really see the route to getting a really great job in as a CEO, um, it's quite tempting to, to stay in the profession, I think. And when I did, did my three years or so in the Department of Social Security, I, I really enjoyed, that was my first real experience of public sector, and I really enjoyed it, but I couldn't quite see what else I would want to do in the DSS, to be honest. Um, I didn't think I quite had the intellectual capability to make it to PermSec, um, although I think I might think differently today because I do think the quality of PermSec is a little lower. I might make it these days. Um, but, but in those days, it was pretty clear I wasn't up to the level of the, the people I saw at PermSec. Um, and I thought, well, you know, frankly, it's a lot more enjoyable being procurement director than being, I don't know, a regional director of the DSS on the operational side or some, something like that that would be an equivalent job. Um, so, yeah, so I stayed in procurement, basically. But, the, but so, the, you know, with the DSS and public services in general, you know, they've played a big part of your life. And obviously the PSC is, a, uh, we're focused on, on doing everything, you know, in our power to make brilliant public services. And pub, the public sector and public services features heavily in your, and it is a brilliant book. And I know you've written many excellent books, but this is probably, no, not probably, this is surely Bad Buying I'm talking about is your most accessible and uh, and 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 high you know, high profile, I think, um, book, and it covers well everything. I just you know, the, even I mean, it, it's it's genuinely really fun to read. And just to give you an example, uh, chapter chapter seventeen, what am I paying for? Uh, so all, all very be- you know beautifully uh, user friendly terminology. What am I paying for? Pricey potatoes, horse semen, and shops in Wolverhampton. You do a brilliant uh, job of kind of drawing fascinating examples from the subject matter which people might not always be immediately interested in but going back to the public sector what what have been your experiences of procurement with public services and you know how how does it differ from the private sector or or, or doesn't it no no it, it it does um i think it's 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 more challenging it's without a doubt it's more challenging um which has positives and and negatives um, it's more, I think it was more stimulating in many ways to work in the public sector than, than private. Um, and I think there's a number of differences. I mean, what, the one that everybody thinks of is, oh, well, you, you're much more bound by processes in the public sector. You have the, the EU or, or now UK regulations uh, and even World Trade Organization constraints and so on. Um, and yes, that is true, although... I'd say in the last 20 years, a lot of big companies, ironically, have moved more towards a public sector way of doing procurement. There's a lot more structure now in how big private sector companies run major procurements because they feel they want to show more transparency and openness and governance is a bigger issue. So, you know, the old days of of companies sort of giving, choosing suppliers on the basis of who they knew or who they played golf with or, or just that they'd done business with them for many years um, is, is not as prevalent now. So, so big companies want to follow process and have open tendering and, and all the rest of it. So that is a difference, but perhaps less pronounced than it used to be. Um, I think the other, 
another big difference is just being in the public eye. So, frankly, the, there are a lot of stories about the public sector in bad buying, but that's partly because they, they often get exposed. You know, National Audit Office comes and does a report. <laughs> I mean, National Audit Office is the number one source of my sort of primary source of my material. Um, and in the private sector, you know, there's no NAO equivalent looking at what Mars is doing on that West or BP or Ford or whoever. Um, so it's actually harder to find stories to some extent. But that being in the public eye makes it exciting sometimes and interesting. You're working on stuff that you know may well be reported in the newspapers. Um, I was interim commercial director on the ID card program for uh, a year or so, and I was actually on the front page of the Sunday Times one, one morning, which was quite interesting. Um, never happened to me when I worked in the private sector. So that level of scrutiny... And the politi obviously the political dimension of it just, just adds something that isn't there in, in private sector. And I think finally, we, we touched on it with um, commissioning, um, just the range of stakeholders you often have. I mean, commissioning is a particular example where you're buying for, for the citizens to, to take advantage or use their services. But even if it's not true, pure commissioning, if you look at uh, procurement in MOD, for instance, it's just so complex, and that's partly because there are so many different stakeholders and things to consider. So you've got the, the questions of national security and keeping, you know, we'll always probably want to have someone who can build ships and tanks and so on in the UK. So there's a political dimension around that as well. You've got the actual users of the equipment. You've got the defence strategists. You've got the politicians. You've got the media. You've got the industry lobby. You've got 100 different people who will tell you that you're buying the wrong tank or, or your entire strategy is wrong. You know, we don't need ships anymore. We need, we need cyber security. So um, just the complexity of, of not everything in public sector procurement, but a lot of it uh, just, just is, is a, a different order of magnitude, frankly, to most of what Mars or NatWest or Ford are buying. But that, so, and, oh, I mean, all of that is 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 brilliant. And but even on the well, fascinating. And on the first point, so does that mean that someone somewhere, you know, in the high echelons of uh, great private sector, is you know, is is the commercial director at Meta saying we need to be more like Crown Commercial Services in how we buy? Like, is the public sector treated as a? As you know, as an exemplar, because obviously there's a there's this frequent belief that the, you know the transmission of ideas tends to only flow from private to public. But is it is it going the other way, or consciously at least, or self unconsciously? I, I don't think it's gone the other way. I think there's probably a better recognition now of the challenges uh, in the public sector and some of the good good practice as well. Um, I think we. It goes in phases. I mean, I came into the public sector at a time when they were looking to bring some private sector procurement directors in. Uh, and, you know, I came in with my Mars background. There's a, a guy I knew well who was from, from BT, um, someone else from Ford. And then there was another wave of that um, probably about 10 years ago, early Cameron days, when he got Philip Green to do this appalling report on public procurement. Um, Actually, there's an interesting story on that, which, which I've heard. I don't know whether this is public domain or I just heard this. But um, there's a story that he actually... Somebody suggested that they got Philip Green to do this report on public procurement. And 
you know, Spad went out and, and asked the, the Philip Green, who was the um, what, top shop and all that sort of stuff. But they didn't mean him. They meant the other Philip Green, who was chief executive <laughs> chair or chairman of someone like, like United Utilities or Balfour Beatty or someone, because there's, there's another Philip Green. And they asked the wrong one. That's, that's what I've heard. Um, but he did this appalling report. But anyway, th- there was a view then that uh, you could bring in stars from the private sector and uh, and I know just as one example, they brought a guy in who'd actually worked in the Philip Green Empire somewhere as a, as a senior procurement person, and he was going to come in and um, sort of revolutionise Crown Commercial Service or Buying Solutions or whatever it was called. And um, you know, within a year or so, he was working sort of third level down in Buying Solutions and never went any further. Um, so you know, there's been an over overestimation sometimes in the past of, of how private sector people could come in and do amazing things in public procurement. Um, I think now it's a bit more, you know, quite a lot of uh, good private sector people have come into Cabinet Office, CCS, in the last few years. Um, but there's been less talk that, you know, they're going to be amazing and revolutionise things. It's been more we need good people because actually these are really difficult challenges and, and the public sector is, is very demanding, which is the right way of looking at it, I think. And, and then just, but just on a personal level for people thinking of, you know, coming in or even, you know, thinking of a career in procurement in the public sector, how, how did you personally feel seeing yourself on the Sunday Times uh, during the ID cards? You know, is it, is it funny? Is it terrifying? Is it a um, bit of both? <laughs> Well, it was it was about some emails um, between me and somebody in in um, well, it was OGC then, so a Treasury, I suppose, rather than Cabinet Office. And uh, supposedly these emails, I I was criticising Tony Blair. That's the amazing thing, um, and <laughs> which I wasn't. I was just pointing out to this this guy who was who was doing some sort of project management review of the ID card program. Uh, and was like questioning the whole basis of it. And I sort of wrote a sarcastic email sort of saying, I think you'll find Tony Blair's quite keen on ID cards happening. You know, it's, we can't sort of stop this programme and start again. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, it was obviously a very slow news day. It was middle of the summer. <laughs> um, so I, I found it quite amusing because I knew I hadn't leaked the emails and I knew I'd said nothing wrong. You, you know, clearly there are times people in the public sector have been much more exposed so I think you know certainly at senior levels if you're not prepared to have a bit of scrutiny on what you're up to then you probably shouldn't join the public sector um, but I think a lot of people find that find that a you know a, almost an added positive of being in the public sector and you're doing something worthwhile in, in most cases um, whether <laughs> whether that is buying warships in MOD or, or social care in a local authority, you know, you can generally feel when you're doing a public sector procurement job, somehow you're contributing to, to the wider good, um, which can be a bit harder to think if, you, if you're buying, I don't know, IT equipment so NatWest can make even more money um, or, or whatever. Um, and, and I mean, there's some private sector firms I, I couldn't and wouldn't work for, you know, I, I, I don't blame people, but I wouldn't want to work for a gambling and betting company these days or a tobacco company or various others. And maybe that brings us nicely on to one of the uh, procurement, just just as your book, I think, was 
saying because it was released during the f- f- 2020, wasn't it? I, was just, I mean, it was during COVID. Bad Vine came out in October 2020, uh, and then I've had another one since then, which was November 21. So. Excellent, prolific. And uh, uh, so, in, within in Bad Bunny, I think you said, had this been published pre-COVID, some of the recent uh, examples of waste. Well, one of the comments is that one of the uh, some of the waste during COVID might have been avoided. Um, and obviously, there's quite a lot in the news um, around procurement, around PPE, but not exclusively PPE and testing. What what, what are you? What, I guess with a bit. I suppose the the inquiry will 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 yet come. But what are your reflections on the role of procurement during COVID nineteen, and uh, what what could have been handled better, maybe? It's very difficult, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've spoken a few times on various sort of BBC and other media programmes about this. I've, I've been asked about it, and I, I've thought about writing a follow up book on procurement through the pandemic, but decided it might be a bit depressing both to write and to read. Um, I think we have to realise that it was extraordinary times and when the demand for anything suddenly goes up by a factor of 10, 20 or 50 or whatever it was on PPE, then, you know, extreme things happen in terms of pricing and availability and so on. So it's, it's difficult in some ways to be critical when we weren't there at the time facing that situation. You then get on to the however... Um, I do think the procurement people and civil servants, if you like, allowed themselves to be unduly influenced by by ministers and and uh, and MPs and so on in terms of the you know the VIP route on PPE and and a certain degree of favouritism and and so on on that, um, which I think was was not corrupt, but I think maybe there should have been stronger leadership within the procurement side of it and the civil service side of it, if you like, to push back against against the uh, uh, the people trying to influence them. Um, and then on a more technical level, I think it's disappointing to see how much stock was bought that didn't meet specification. Because, I mean, that's chapter one in Bad Bank. Because when I thought about how to organise the book, uh, it sort of struck me eventually, after a bit of thought, that specification had to had to be chapter one. Because if you get that wrong... Everything else you do is almost, you know, just doesn't matter. So if you if you specified the wrong thing to buy, you can do the most brilliant deal and negotiate superbly and have a great relationship with your supplier. You've bought the wrong flaming thing, and you've potentially wasted anything from from you know one percent to a hundred percent of your spend. Um, so it's disappointing. There were such errors on specification because that that shouldn't have been too difficult to get right. Even even in a state of emergency, when when things had to be done quickly, um, and I, and I think it's a bit surprising that there wasn't a bit more analysis of what margins the the middlemen and the agents, the intermediaries, were making, um, and and the pushback on that is well, you know, these people were saying, well, if you don't like our price, tough, we'll sell it to France or America or whatever. But I'd, I'd like to think if I'd been there, I, I might have said, OK, that's fine, but I'd still like to see the cost breakdown. How, how much are you paying the factory in China? What's the shipping cost? What's your margin, et cetera? Um, and, and I think then there could have been potentially a little bit more negotiation rather than just accepting the prices that were being pushed at them. But I say, it's easy to be, to be critical after the event. And I think there were some good things. I mean, um, 
I think just as PPE maybe some people have been a bit too critical, there's probably been a bit too much positivity about the vaccine side of it. I mean, I think it was good. Not sure it was quite as amazing as some people are, are making out. But there were some good lessons there in terms of trading off uh, the sort of normal bureaucracy and time taken around negotiating the, the nth detail of contracts and getting every little clause and <laughs> terms and conditions right uh, against moving quickly. And I think some good decisions were, were made there. And actually, there's some lessons for procurement generally there that sometimes it, it re speed really does matter. Because procurement is often faced with budget holders or end users saying, you're too slow, I must have this immediately. And procurement tend to go, no, no, we're going to take our time, we've got to put the contracts in place, we've got to do everything properly. And a lot of the time, procurement is right to do that. But the vaccines um, process showed that sometimes it's absolutely the right thing to do to, to move quickly and, and don't worry about you know every little detail. Mm. And so we, we love actionable advice on this podcast. And I think you just gave some very helpful steers. But for anyone listening, working in the public sector, um, you know, what would you recommend they focus on to improve, you know, their, their procurement work? How, how, could, how can they be better beyond reading and buying your fine books and, uh, <laughs> and, and following your work? Uh, well, I mean, if you're in a senior enough role to, to, to take this advice, one of I think genuinely the most useful things I, I've ever done in my career was I, I did workshops, um, this is when I was consulting rather than uh, a procurement director, um, I did workshops um, mainly in the Department of Work and Pensions for non-procurement people. So uh, obviously in conjunction with, with the senior procurement people in DWP, um, but these, these were sort of half-day workshops giving policy makers, uh, project managers, finance managers, contract managers, an overview of, of some different aspects of procurement. You know, a little bit of negotiation, a bit of understanding of commercial models, how to talk to suppliers, why EU rules work as they did. Um, and I, I think generally they, they were just, they seemed so beneficial for the for the delegates, you know, people are going, oh, I didn't realise this, and I'll go back and talk to the suppliers I'm working with now in a totally different way, and I understand how I can get them to do this and why that isn't working. Um, and it wasn't an awful lot of effort to to I think really make a difference. So, don't think that just having a, a decent procurement or commercial function will make you as an organisation uh, good good at procurement, because it it always involves a lot more than just the procurement people. So I think that's that's number one. And number two, a, a bit more technical, um, but I've continued to do bits of consulting through through becoming more of a writer, uh, and I've done work on buy side and sell side. And it's to really think about the objectives of your, your project, let's call it, um, the outcomes you want and the sort of supplier you want and the sort of relationship... Really think about that when you're constructing your evaluation process. So the evaluation criteria and the weightings, because people often see that as a bit of a, it's just a technical thing. You know, we bung in a few questions about quality and service and price and somebody does a spreadsheet and there's a clever equation and it comes out and says, Accenture have won. And, and nobody really understands why. And people go, oh, well, you know, I didn't really want Accenture. I was really hoping that, that a, a smaller, more dynamic, more specialist consulting firm would, would win this. 
And and I would be looking at it saying, yeah, but you didn't ask the right questions to, <laughs> to be able to evaluate those things and come out with the PSC winning rather than Accenture winning. You know, if, if you if you look, I'm not saying you, you do this corruptly, but, you know, the evaluation criteria, the weightings, the questions you asked, how you mark them, will drive the end result. Um, and I've, I've done a couple in the sort of quasi-charity sector where... Um, I've taken people through that, and they've they've said, "Look, it's it, it's not a case of money, no object, but we really do have to have a supplier who can who can do this stuff. You know, it's no good ending up with somebody who says they can do it at a really low price, and we sort of have to choose them because they've come in at the lowest price and they've won the the tender." I said, "Okay, that's fine. We can construct the tender process in a way that that." I can pretty much guarantee that that won't happen. But I have to know that up front. Otherwise, you might end up with the, the cheap and cheerful option. And I'm still seeing that happening in government. I won't mention it because it's probably libelous. But there's a good example out there at the moment that I might write about for the bad buying website in the next next couple of weeks where it looks like a cheap bid won something. And quite possibly the civil servants involved didn't you know, really want that company or that sort of company to win. But they did. So that was a badly constructed tender. We will make sure to link to the bad buying website at uh, when we share the podcast. Um, uh, I want to end w- with a with a question on your 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 newer book, Procurement with Purpose. But um, just before that, it, what do you think will be the big trends in public services and procurement over the next you know nearly well, let's say you know five to eight years so I, one of the things i'm reflecting on is that there's been a huge change as you mentioned at the start and kind of the power of data in particular and sort of spend analytics um there seems to be an an ever oscillating pendulum between sort of aggregation and disaggregation particularly of uh, technology services and it seems slightly moving back towards aggregation but you know what what are the other things that people working in the field should be watching out for and preparing to embrace well i, I think I, i'm not just saying this because of my more recent book but i think the the whole um drive around the different aspects of the 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 business purpose agenda as the private sector tends to call it so so that's the environmental side of things um you know, asking suppliers about their plans for net zero and what they're doing to decarbonise and all that, all that stuff. Uh, that's going to be big. And then on the more the sort of social and economic side, the whole drive for social value, um, still not very well understood by everybody. Um, but I think I think that's that's going to be a big thing. And I think there'll be some tensions there. It'll depend partly who wins the next election as well. Um, but you know, is that all about supporting local businesses? It may well be for for local authorities. Um, is it about trying to get, you know, better employment opportunities? Is it about supporting disadvantaged minorities, whether it's through through um, you know minority owned businesses and so on, or firms promising to do more for disadvantaged minorities? Um, you know, there's quite a number of different agendas there. I think in my Procurement with Purpose book, I've identified something like 25 different topics within that that overall picture. Um, So there's quite a lot to go for there. You know, waste and recycling. I mean, in some industries, that's huge. Construction industry, that's that's a really big issue. So I think there'll be a lot of that. I think 
not exactly in conflict with that, but what we're going to see, I think, is clearly a squeeze on public expenditure in the next few years for economic reasons. So, so that is going to um, that is going to be a challenge. And I saw something. Um, I can't remember. It was LinkedIn or Twitter yesterday. I actually sent a note to the guy, and I don't know the whole story, but it it appears to be a UK provider of PPE. Uh, who is closing down because they're not getting orders anymore. And and I did actually sort of predict this a year ago because there there's this big move to find more domestic supplies of PPE, more, more UK-based supplies of PPE, quite rightly, during the pandemic. Um, and, and I think I wrote an article saying, well, that's all great, but the crunch will come when there isn't a shortage of PPE in, anymore globally. And the suppliers in China and Malaysia and so on are back on the market, offering the stuff at half the price that, that we can make it in the UK. What, what are hospitals and, and other buyers going to do then? Are they going to say, well, we'll pay more because of the security of supply from the UK, or will they revert because they're under cost pressure? So that's, that's going to be interesting. And, and if we're going to do anything about that, that really has to be a, a sort of national strategic level approach and some some difficult decisions made and so that uh those are excellent things to watch out for and i can i can see the the, the tension arising on the you know uh, uh, on some of those national issues about where where things are made you you've covered you know procurement with purpose is the latest book which is all about saving the planet with, with better procurement what what's the what's the next project then peter it seems you always have a yeah a, a, something new on the on the go <laughs> Um, I've got a couple of potential things where I, I won't actually take the lead. Uh, a couple of people I know who've, who've got sort of interesting ideas for books, and, I, and I've said I'll, I'll sort of help them a bit with, with maybe content and style, as it, as it were. Uh, so one's a guy, a very smart guy, but English isn't his first language, so, so I can probably help a bit on, on that. Uh, and equally, it's, it's a topic I wouldn't write a book about myself necessarily, still procurement-related. So there's a couple of things like that. I think one thing is what's clear, having written most of the Procurement with Purpose book, what, sort of a year and a half ago-ish, or started it then, certainly, um, it gets out of date so quickly. So, you know, we published it just when COP26 was going on, but clearly there's nothing about COP26 in the book. Um, there's Things have happened in terms of implementing social value in the public sector, since, since I wrote the chapters on social value. So I think if it goes well, and, and if, we, if we think the demand is there, then it's the sort of thing that will need updating every, every couple of years at least. So uh, if, if I want to do that, I need to, to start on the second edition relatively soon, I think. So that'll probably keep me busy. Fantastic. We'll watch out for that keenly. Peter, thank you so much for joining. Um, this has been the PSC in conversation thanks for listening we'll be back with another episode very soon and if you like what you heard subscribe where you get your podcasts so you don't miss out and we'd love to hear from you with questions comments or suggestions at hello at the PSC.co.uk um, you'll hear from us soon cheers